Hello and welcome to another episode of The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. I'm Tori Walker and this is episode 17. Just over a year ago, I had the slightly crazy idea to start this podcast, interviewing Christian women about their life and faith and ministry. I spent a weekend praying and thinking about it and doing a bit of research and it really was quite a crazy idea because I'd never done anything like it before and I'm definitely still on the learning curve. But I really have loved the opportunities that interviewing the past 16 fascinating, godly and inspiring women have given me as we've chatted and they've opened up and answered my questions. And I've loved that so many people have had a listen and been encouraged and spurred on in their own relationship with Jesus as a result. Why all this reminiscing? Well, just over a year ago, I discovered that podcasts had launches to get them off the ground. And so the Grow Women's Conference agreed to let me launch and promote the podcast at their 2016 conference. Now, you know when you go to a conference, often there's a speaker that you don't know personally. And so the MC will do a brief interview where you get to know the speaker a bit better. I really appreciate those little interviews because I find I'm often more engaged by someone who's teaching me the Bible if I feel I know them a bit. And yet often I want the interview to go on a bit longer to find out a bit more about the speaker, what makes them tick, where did they come from, why they made the decisions they made. Do you ever feel the same? Well, if you're going to the Grow 2017 conference this year, uh, the main speaker, Claire Deves, is going to be teaching you the Bible. And today's podcast is an opportunity for you to find out just a little bit more about her, how she came to faith in Christ, uh, what gets her excited, what she's doing her research in, uh, and a few other things. As Claire lives in Perth and I live in Brisbane, we had to do this interview over the phone. It didn't start well. Hi, this is Claire. Sorry I can't take your call at the moment, but please leave a message and have a good day. But thankfully Claire got my message. We made another start and I hope you enjoy listening to it. Hi, Tori. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. That's so good. sorry about that. No, that's all right. Were you asleep? I was. <laughs> I'd been sleeping really well and then I preached at Women's Convention on Saturday. Totally thrown my body out of whack. Last night I was like, right, that's it. I'm taking a sleeping drug. It just yes. hadn't worn off. Oh, no. <laughs> so you've got me at my very sharpest. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I've been sick for a week, so, you know, let's see. Oh, this will be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we get going? Sure. Okay. I have no idea what you're about to ask me about. Is that That's the sort of prep that I've done. That's fine. <laughs> Claire, thank you for coming onto the Lydia Project as my guest today. Let me start by asking you how you came to faith in Christ. I uh, grew up in uh, a, a Catholic family. So I grew up going to uh, Catholic schools and, in fact, almost everybody I knew was Catholic. Um, and I was pretty religious as a kid and wanted to know more, I think, about God. I, I can remember in year 10, I'd known since I was three that Jesus had died for me and in year 10 just thinking, I don't understand how that helps. You know, why, how does Jesus dying do anything for me? Uh, and so I went to uni, not a Christian and uh, interested in that sort of thing. I saw a sign for, for campus Bible study and I thought, well, you know, I'm a Catholic and I believe the Bible. I wonder what it says. I decided to, to go to campus Bible study 
at the same time I was studying electrical engineering, I think about 10 of the first 15 people I met were Christian. Uh, and so. And how many I, of them played 500, Claire? Oh, look, most of them, I think. <laughs> we Certainly that's what we, it wasn't 500, but some sort of cards occupied quite a lot of my time as yep. an engineer. More card playing and the Bible really than engineering in my first year at university. Um, yeah, so I, I started going to Bible study with them and um, really became a Christian through reading the Bible and seeing what it said and started just growing my understanding of what Jesus had done. The crystallizing moment for me, I, I went to, to church uh, with some of them and I didn't know the song, so I couldn't sing them. So I was just reading the words. And there's a song, Amazing Love, where the chorus is, uh, Amazing love, oh, what sacrifice the Son of God given for me. My death he pays and my death he dies that I might live. And that was the answer to my year 10 question. Oh, right, that's why he died. Uh, and that, that was a pretty uh, big moment for me of, of crystallising the gospel. Thank you. For that... which I'm very grateful. Yeah. And so how was that for your family? Like, did, did was that then a thing that you sort of needed to explain to them or did they kind of hear that you were spending a lot of time with this campus Bible study group? No. Because no. you moved away campus for uni, Bible didn't you? Not until after I'd become a Christian. So right. my parents left home. I, I didn't leave home. My parents left home okay. when I was in second year. Right. And so I, I moved out of home uh, a bit before they went because yeah. there was an opening in college to go a little bit early. But but I left because they were going. Right. Yeah, so they, they didn't know a lot of this was going on at yeah. the time. I was still going to Mass for most of the time mm. with my family on Sundays. Uh, and to be honest, I, I don't think I handled it very well with my family. So I didn't know how to go home and say I've become a Christian because I'd always thought I was Christian. They thought they were Christian. It didn't mm. seem like a sensible sentence. Mm. Uh, and mm. so so it's really been something that, that they've come to understand over time, mm. I think, rather than a big change mm. right right there and then. But yeah, by the, by the time it was making kind of considerable dis differences in my life, I, I was away from home. So they didn't get to, to see that quite as much. Mm. Yeah, probably my decision to, to go to Bible college and to head towards ministry was when it started to, to crystallise. Yeah, it's a bit more than a hobby yeah. then, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or a phase. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know some people from a Catholic background find sort of the whole guilt and good works things a bit of a recurring struggle, even after they come to understand and accept God's grace in Christ. Was that ever true for you, or for you was it more, I just get it now and that's it? If it has been true for me, and I think it has a little bit, I'm not sure that it has Catholic roots. So the kind of Catholicism I grew up with, is a a post-Vatican II Catholicism that's m much warmer than than it used to be mm -hmm. Catholicism, and mm -hmm. and although I, I obviously went to confession and those sorts of things as a kid, mm -hmm. it was never scary. I, I never found Catholicism scary, and it wasn't particularly guilt laden. My my schools were much more focused on community and mm -hmm. uh, a very positive kind of picture of God and Catholicism. So I think I probably struggle with guilt as much as anyone else. Mm. So I think I think part of us as humans, we, we struggle with guilt. I'm not sure that that comes from my experience of Catholicism. Mm. These days, what keeps you going as a Christian? Good question, Tori. I just 
preached at Perth Women's Convention on Hebrews, and the theme was no turning back, and yep. it was all about persevering as a question. So, oh, excellent. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Well, tell me what you learnt when you were preparing for the talks then. I think Hebrews, what was wonderful to see was that at the same time that there were these warnings, you know, don't fall away, that's a bad idea, there are consequences for that. Mm. Mostly what the author wants to do is say, and why would you anyway? Because Jesus is so much better. And that kind of positive note through the book, I think, is what I want to keep me going. So every mm. now and then I need to hear the warning, just that's a bad idea and, mm. you know, that that's enough. But uh, particularly in these last this last month or so, just seeing the total access to God that we have in Christ, that mm. we're, we're in his presence, we can approach the throne at any time, and the, the God of the universe listens to us and loves us and has grace and mercy in our time of need, that uh, it's all there, I think, that we have everything we need in Christ, uh, which was really what, what came out there. I think the other thing that keeps me going is the the hollowness of everything else in comparison. If I listen to, I don't know, the project or Q&A or other such shows, mm. the worldviews don't withstand much scrutiny. They don't seem to be coherent. They don't explain the world well. There, there doesn't seem to be a depth in that. I think as I look around, the dominant worldview in our society is probably best described as I reckonism, right? So I reckon this, I reckon that for no particular reason. That's not a very coherent way to live, mm. I think. Yeah. yeah. So there's a robustness to the to what the Bible says that I think it's I think it's robust because it's God's word and he knows what he's talking about yeah. in a way that, that we don't. And is part of that robustness and integrity of that all-encompassing, consistent, coherent faith, is it was true thousands of years ago. Oh, look, it's still true now. Yeah. When you read the Bible, there's some, there's some cultural things that have changed. Mm. But a book written so long ago that speaks so accurately to now because the core things of the world haven't changed and and that's what's driving the bible that is pretty amazing you can read an ancient text and go this really bears no resemblance to my life at all but yeah god's obviously uh inspired the biblical writers to write something that will endure mm. and yeah i think it has amazingly um i think the other thing is just uh, a few years ago i went for a walk and thought you know if if the gospel is perfect, you know, if God is perfect and therefore his gospel is perfect, then every time we step away from the gospel, we should lose something. Something should be made slightly worse. And and every time I've thought about something, I've gone, yeah, I can see how that's worse. Like the gospel has sort of, or every time I've thought about it, shown itself to be better than whatever the alternative is. In, in experiencing life living by that kind of worldview, do you mean, or...? Like how? Yeah, like worse in terms of experience for the person, or experience for the person, or just the the practicality of of making it work, or or the or the kind of the goodness of it. That actually, if you changed any of God's characteristics, if you did make him, you know, gracious and merciful and loving, but you took away his justice. You don't have to think very long before clearly that's worse. I see, yeah. You know, we want God to be just. And and every time I think, would it be better if I tinkered with that bit, 
the answer comes up being no. Now, obviously, you've been reading a lot of Hebrews lately, yes. and I'm sure commentaries <laughs> on Hebrews and books on perseverance. Is there anything that you've read either on that topic or anything else particularly that you've found stimulating or interesting or want to tell me about? Goodness me. No. Claire, tell me, what's your job at the moment? I'm a lecturer at Trinity Theological College. And you so haven't read any good books lately. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I lecture there in church history. <laughs> no, I, I, so I preached at, on, on Saturday at Perth Women's Convention, but in a month's time I'm preaching at Grow in Brisbane. So I've spent the whole of the last week desperately trying to get my brain to move from Hebrews to Luke. Right, okay. So when you ask me about Hebrews, I know I said, <laughs> none of that comes to mind immediately. I read a lot of good things uh, on, on Hebrews, but I just can't name them for you no, right that's, now. That's fine. We'll change tack completely. I first met you in Sydney, I think, when you were a young uni-aged lass playing cricket and evangelising other cricket lovers in your spare time. Is that right? Is that yes. Right? Yeah. So yeah. you then went to work at the Australian Bureau of Statistics and I think you were involved in training, not the actual statistics. Is that right? I had about 10 different jobs in the four years that I was there. Ah, right. So I finished my last year. I was mostly doing training, but yep. um, I had various statistical jobs as well okay. um, but nothing that that the image of statistics conjures up there, there was nothing mathematically that I couldn't have done in year nine yeah um the the heavy stats work is is done in the nerd still in Canberra right yeah and <laughs> you were not <laughs> so was what were some interesting things that you learned while working for the Australian government in the OBS do you mean what were some of the interesting numbers or what were some of the interesting lessons about life? Oh, either. Either, I think. Oh. Both. Oh, okay. Well, I can tell you that in, uh, I think it was the 1996 census, 232 people said they spoke Latin at home. <laughs> that, was, that was interesting. So um, does that just make you think, like, I mean, what, what proportion does the ABS say are just not serious answers? Yeah, there, there's some, but, but it's not many. Just small. I, I suspect some of the people who put Latin meant Spanish. That would be my guess, that right. it was a Latin American kind of answer. Oh, that okay. Some of it. Yep. There probably are a couple of, you know, Catholic priests around the place who <laughs> speak Latin to each other at home. I don't know. But, yeah, the, the, the numbers, I think what I did learn at the ABS was that the, the numbers that we get are actually very good, very reliable uh, by world standards. Now, you studied at SMBC, didn't you? I did. And what made you decide to study there? Yeah, I think before I became a Christian, so I was in this process where I was sort of deciding for sure, am I, am I really going to do this? Am I going to become a Christian? Uh, I can remember thinking, well, if I become a Christian, I'll go into full-time ministry. You know, if it's true, that's what I'll do. And yep. if it's not true, then I won't become a Christian. Uh, and I think I thought that because I just went, well, if this is true, then that's that's it, isn't it? They're, why would I spend my life doing anything else? I've since developed a slightly more sophisticated worldview <laughs> where I can understand that there are other things that are good to do. But but that was, you know, at all of 18 or 19, that was that was how I was thinking. Yep. And I didn't really sort of let that go. Uh, there was a couple. There was a couple of points where I wavered, but but on the whole, I left uni thinking, no, I'll, I'll head towards full-time ministry. Um, uh, and so I, I was too young uh, as a person and as a Christian to do it straight out of university. So I went and I worked for a while, but the goal was sort of always to go to college. 
yeah, and it was really to to prepare for ministry. So I think uh, I was very blessed, really, to to start my Christian life in a place that said the Bible's the word of God. That's your foundation. That's that's the way you do ministry. It gives you the content of your ministry. You know, it, it's the the method for doing ministry. Yeah, the Bible is is at the centre. So I wasn't going to try and head into ministry without a strong grounding in the Bible. And mm. so to me, it was it was just sort of obvious that mm. the next step was was heading to college. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I went to SNBC because I was looking for a college that had the Bible at the centre of its curriculum and. We're blessed in Australia with a, a number of colleges that do that, and SNBC is one of them. And so did you have a particular kind of, I want to be in church ministry or uni ministry or mission work, or were you just mission, um, yeah. sorry, ministry, anything? Not not really. I think probably adults. I, I, I'd done some youth ministry, some children's ministry, and while I think it was probably better that I do it than that nobody do it, the experience could have been better for everyone involved. <laughs> I don't think it was necessarily my my gifting. Uh, so heading towards adults. Um, oh, so delicately put. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but exactly where or what? No, I, I didn't. I didn't know. Probably not mission work. Um, only because I actually probably not mission work, but probably moving out of Sydney. They were my kind of thoughts mm. so I and why out of Sydney I hear reason, what uh, yeah so in terms of not mission work I, I hear entirely adequately but I often I'll, I'll miss the first sound in a word and that kind of thing that would make it very hard to learn a new language so yeah so moving overseas to learn a new language I, I sort of had to put a line through that but it felt to me like Sydney was was heavily resourced so I, when I was with the Australian Bureau of Statistics I lived a year in Darwin and was struck by, yeah, the, the the absence of the sorts of resources I was used to in Sydney. And so, yeah, thought, I'm happy to go. I'm free to go. There's nothing holding me in Sydney. I yep. can go. You know, not that if they'd, I was, wasn't desperate to get out of Sydney and if there'd been something good there to do, um, I may have done it. But, mm. yeah, ha happy and willing to, to leave mm. Sydney to go somewhere more remote. Like Townsville. Like Townsville, that's right. <laughs> so your first couple of jobs were um, with student ministry, mainly training and pastoring female students, is that right? Yes. What was kind of your aim and your goal? What did you see as the heart of your ministry when you were doing student ministry? I think it was to move people forward, and that isn't the same for all of them. So for some students you meet at university, I had one student come to me in, from China and say, you know, I don't know anything about Christianity. Would you be willing to tell me about it? Uh, yes, uh, is the answer to that question. So so there, there were some students who were not Christian and, and consciously not Christian. Mm. There were others who I think had, had grown up perhaps in, in various churches and just were drifting. They, they didn't know whether they believed it or not. Mm. Uh, and with them, the goal really is to help them understand who Jesus is and what the gospel is and to see them put their faith in Jesus. And for others, they're, they're clearly already Christian and so you're looking to mature them. But you really do it the same way. It's, it's opening the Bible and helping them to understand the gospel more deeply and who Jesus is and what he came to do. 
I think with university students, one of the things that I wanted to do was help them to learn to read the Bible. So you want them to be able to, to feed themselves from God's word for the rest of their lives. Um, and so not just telling them what the Bible says, but reading it with them and, and helping them to learn how to read the Bible and understand it uh, was is a, a, a critical thing. Uh, and helping them to think in a, a ministry-minded way as well, that faith is not just about them, that they've been saved into the family of God and so they they are part of the church and serve the church, but that also as God's people we have a mission in the world which is to, to preach the gospel to others and so to, to get them thinking about how they can be part of, of those things. Mm. I'm not sure that those goals are exclusive to university ministry. I think that's what you mm. want to be doing with most people is yeah, so I mean, was the was the method then a bit different with uni students? Do you think, or pretty similar with? Yeah, whatever? I think it's pretty similar with most people in the sense that it's opening the Bible. I I think where I have a particular weakness and where my ministry methods come a cropper is in really low low literacy contexts. So. Mm. I sort of start with the assumption that people read reasonably well and that if we open the Bible and read it, that will work. Uh, so I think while I want to teach people to read the Bible, I don't think you have to be literate to be Christian. But but what sorts of, what ministry looks like in low literacy contexts, I, I don't have a good grip on. But where people can, can read the Bible, that's God's word. That's where, you know, the, the power to change people is and just keep opening the Bible, I think, mm. yeah. And you get to do a lot with uni students because they've got lots of time. That's right. And everything's 50 minutes long. So <laughs> I can remember one day sitting in the same cafe for four hours. I think they must have thought I was running a business. I'd meet with one student. The next student would come and sort of wait till I'd finished. And then I'd bump one off and take the next one. I was there for four hours. The next it's... person came and I went, well, we just need to change cafes. <laughs> do you find that personally draining or exhausting, sort of just giving it of yourself? Yeah, I do. I, I think I think you've got to work yourself out. So in the end, four is too many for me. I can do three one-to-ones in a row, but by the fourth one, I'm looking at you thinking, what was your name again? <laughs> Even though we've been meeting for, you know, two years. So yeah, yeah four in a row is, is too many for me. Mm. Um, uh, I don't, I stop listening, I think. I think it takes a lot more energy to listen than we sometimes think it does. Mm. Um, and I, by the fourth one, I've stopped listening. Yeah, it is, it is quite draining because um, uh, you want to engage in deep things too of life and that can't be entirely one-sided. So, so you are giving of yourself as you do that. So you mentioned that your current job now is that you're a lecturer. Is there much of that kind of one-to-one training relationship aspect to the yeah. job? Unfortunately, there's not. It's a very different kind of setting. So, so I'm, I'm lecturing groups and I lecture church history rather than Bible in any kind of direct sense. Uh, I have a partial care group. We go on mission together. And so I, I get to know them a little bit better. And I try to have coffee with our female students sort of once a year or so. Are there uh, many at Trinity? Uh, sorry, I should say our full-time students. Yeah. Not, there's not that many, no. Yeah. We're, we're a fairly small college in terms of numbers for, for full-time students. But, the, I mean, the benefit of that is that I can meet with all of them, but, but not I can't meet with them every week and, and mm. open the Bible and that kind of thing. Mm. So it's quite 
quite different in that respect. Yeah, church history. Is that your kind of, I don't, know, I don't want to say passion, but you know what I mean? Like is that an area that you're particularly interested in or is it you saw there was a need or how did you end up there? Yeah, it's primarily that I saw a need. When I was at college, uh, I remember thinking if we're serious about training women for full-time ministry, then there has to be women in theological education and thinking, you know, maybe that's something I could could think about. Uh, and then thinking through what I'd be comfortable teaching. Is that from a theological point of view that you didn't want to teach the Bible to men or? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think church history doesn't come with the same sort of pastoral authority as teaching the Bible. Yep. Uh, and, and so I felt more theologically more comfortable doing that. And I think I think that's uh, in the context here in Perth better as well for the guys who are coming to college because they'll be at all sorts of different places on whether that is or isn't appropriate and this just doesn't make – means it's not an issue for them. So, so did you yeah. have to do more study in church history in order to be able to lecture in it? Yes, I, I did a, a year um, of a Master's of Theology in Church History through Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, TEDS, in Chicago. Uh, which was great. That was a great year. By correspondence or did you actually go over there? No, I went, I went there for a year and did the coursework and then came back and finished the thesis here while I was working. And what was your thesis on? My thesis was on Pentecostalism. So I was looking at just tra tracing the history of a debate on what Pentecostalism is. The word is used to mean all sorts of things. Uh, and as I drilled down into it, I discovered that's because within Pentecostalism, there's all sorts of definitions of, of what, a, what a Pentecostal is. So, yeah, really looking at, at how that's changed over time. And that involved understanding a bit of the, the history of Pentecostalism as well. Yeah, yeah. Why, why, how, why did yeah. you pick that? That's interesting. <laughs> I picked it because I think I had been uh, undertaught about Pentecostalism. So... A phenomenal proportion of the people in the world who identify as Christian are from a some kind of Pentecostal church or affiliate themselves with that sort of word, and so it's it's a huge branch, if you like, within Christianity. And yet, I knew very little about its history and and had only the loosest grip on it. Uh, and I think a number of the ideas that have come out of Pentecostalism are also or they look to me like they they were influencing, you know, the average church in Perth, and I I just didn't know enough about it, and so so that that took me to Pentecostalism, and after that with a thesis you've just got to find a topic. Yep, <laughs> that's where I ended up. Yeah. But but that's that's why Pentecostalism. But you are now about to start a PhD. Yes. What topic have you chosen? Nothing to do with Pentecostalism or even church history. In well, you don't want to box so, yourself in, do you? <laughs> no, no, I'm a generalist. Um, yeah, so my PhD will be looking at women's ministry. Um, so uh, I think in about the last, I don't know, 30, 35 years, something like that in Australia, there's been a more deliberate effort to encourage women into full-time ministry in complementarian settings but anecdotally there's been problems in the execution so people of, of goodwill trying to make it work but problems 
in getting the teams to work well. And so my PhD is really just looking at, well, what does it look like when it works well? What does it look like when it doesn't work? And the goal, of course, is to help us make it work well more often. Of course, yes. I mean, it's yeah. an interesting, oh, it's a fascinating topic, but sorry, I've got lots of questions now, but it's an interesting um <laughs> It's an interesting approach to look at sort of trying to help us help form a solution through research because I think naturally our kind of first response as Christians might be to find our well hopefully to find solutions to the problems looking at God's word and listening to other Christians but also talking with each other and I don't know sort of more anecdotal I don't I don't think we yeah we naturally go to research that often, do we? Um, but it's obviously got a lot to tell us. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, as I've thought through the issue, I think one of the one of the problems in solving this, certainly I feel it here in Perth, right? So my study actually won't be, won't be based here in Perth. But I think wherever you are in Australia, there aren't so many women in ministry or even, you know, kind of conservative evangelicals that they don't all know each other. And you mean like full-time paid ministry when you say that, obviously? Well, majority, majority of the time. So what that means is it's very hard for anyone in a team to sort of talk about their experience openly without it being entirely obvious who the other person is. And so you can't because we want to love each other and respect each other and we don't want to gossip and we don't want to slander, our capacity to talk openly about these sorts of things is quite limited. And so one of the benefits of research is that I can can interview people and try and interview, I don't know, 30 or 40 of them or whatever it ends up being and produce a kind of, well, thesis in the end where you can't identify any of them. Mm. And so we can, and and therefore you can't identify who they were working with or which church they were at. And so we can do it in a way that is therefore sort of more loving and and avoid some of the things that we want to avoid, but still gets us to the actual data that we need. So, because it so is frustrating when people keep making the same mistakes then, isn't it? Or not mistakes, but, you know, falling into yeah. the same traps that, you know, the other team did two years ago and the other team did that people aren't learning from it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But but what what are our facilities for for learning from it? Mm. You know, how do we how do we make that work? And so mm. so I think I'm I'm particularly aware of it in Perth. So in Perth, if I was to do the research here, and and this is one of the reasons I can't, is you'd you'd be looking at my research and you'd go, right, well that's Amy and that's Kat <laughs> and that's it because because <laughs> they're the yeah. ones, you know. Yeah. It, it's it's just, and that means that the bloke involved is, you know, it's just, yeah. To to get it out there into the open, um, requires a another sort of approach. Mm. The other thing to remember is that it is fairly new. Mm. We are still trying to work this out. Um, well, even team ministry with even just with blokes is newish, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like in the last yeah. hundred years, it, it there were a hundred years ago there weren't many teams. I don't think. I think it was mainly. Uh, yeah, if you had an assistant minister, it's because he was straight out of college and wasn't yet a senior minister. It mm. wasn't because you were putting a long-term team together, mm. Mm. Um, whereas now we, we want to work in teams. And so are you going to interview teams that are working as well as teams that aren't or just teams that aren't? Oh, no, both. It's possible. I, I, 
I'm at the very early stages, so I haven't worked out my whole methodology. Um, so I'm not sure whether I'll be interviewing teams or, or just the women. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to limit your thesis somehow. Mm. So this could take the rest of my life if I'm not careful. But certainly I want to do both sides. What does it what does it look like when it works? Because just sort of saying, don't do that, don't do that, uh, that's helpful, but not mm. as helpful as being able to say, and try these things mm. instead. Uh, so, yeah, it would be my, my goal to, to look at both sides. And how much time will you have to do it? How does that work? Yeah, it feels like the rest of my life. <laughs> Probably not. So PhD part-time is typically six years. Yep. Uh, I'm on sabbatical this semester, so I'll do this semester full-time. But, yeah, I anticipate it'll take another another five or five and a half years or something. It'll take a while. And so does that mean you'll drop back to working part-time or you'll still as at Trinity? No, I'll be, I'll be working full-time, but mm-hmm. we have, as academics, built into our timetable a day a week for research. Right. So yep. uh, I'll have, that day will change from being focused on church history to being focused on this. Yep. Um, and then I'll find some other time. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Just to put it in perspective for us, how many words is your PhD going to be at the end? I think they're about 80,000. <laughs> that is a lot. It's a lot of words. Yeah, it's a lot of words. A lot of words. Yeah. And, and yeah. sorry, so how, how many have you written, Claire? Yeah. How many have you written yeah. so far? <laughs> None. I've been enrolled for a month and a half. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good start. You've got ideas. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've got a topic. <laughs> now, you mentioned that you are now moving your thoughts towards uh, preaching at Grow in Brisbane, uh, which is one yes. reason why I actually want to interview you because I want this podcast to be published before then. So if you like what you hear about um, what Claire has to say, make sure you come to Grow, everybody. So when when is Grow? It's in August? The 9th of September. September, yeah. Okay. Mm. And you're speaking on Luke? Yes. Anything in particular in Luke? Uh, it's not a particular theme, so mm. I spent some time looking at the whole of Luke and trying to work out sort of what the main themes were. And mm-hmm. so across the three talks, I'll try and pick up a number of the, the main themes that come out in Luke. But Luke's really about who Jesus is and what the gospel is uh, and how we should respond to it. So, yeah, they're the, the main things that will come out. Fantastic. I'm so looking forward to it. Really looking forward to hearing you teach us at Grow and looking forward to seeing you in person, Claire. And um, yeah, thank you so much for your time today on the Lydia Project. You're welcome. Okay. Great. Thanks, Dory. You're welcome.